The Apostle Paul was very clear. The desires of our sin nature are evil and destructive. They must be resisted and through the power of the Holy Spirit overcome and replaced by new desires. But in our culture today, many believe a far different story. Dave Wurtson, our Truth Encounter study leader, shares in today's lesson about the sins that can still exclude you from heaven. Ray Carlson uh, was a hulk of a man. He was a giant of a man. He was about six foot two. He weighed about 270. Uh, when he was in high school, he won uh, the heavyweight division in Pennsylvania wrestling. Uh, he went on to university and kept developing his wrestling talents. And uh, when it came time for the Olympics, he tried out for the Olympics. And he almost made the United States Olympic team, but uh, the guy that beat him out, this great big guy that was even bigger than him, actually went on that year and won. He beat all the Russians and won the gold medal in wrestling. And I came to know this friend of mine when I started working at my dad's camp years ago, my dad's children's camp, because Ray directed that children's camp, and he never got over his love for wrestling. In fact, it was a normal thing on, on a Tuesday afternoon to go down to the gym, and, and Ray would lift weights. I mean, he would put like, uh, he'd start out warming up about 250-pound bench press. That was his warm-up. And then he would slowly work up to 325, 330, 350. I mean, he just pumped it away. And after he worked out like that, he said, all right, come on, guys. And he would get all of us program guys, and, and we had a mat because Ray was still into wrestling. And Ray would get down on the mat, and I remember him getting like this, and he would have me get over him. And I remember grabbing hold of his arm. It was like grabbing hold of a branch of a tree, a gigantic branch. And uh, he would say, go. And, man, he would just, just spin as fast as he could, and he would just plaster me on the mat. I mean, we, we would at times have five of us that would try to attack him all at once, and he could just hold that position. He was an incredible wrestler. But, and then he would get all of us wrestling together. It was one of my first introductions. A lot of you maybe have never wrestled, uh, but it's one of the most intense sports that you can ever be involved in. You don't think you've ever been as tired, ever been as totally, you know, just stretched out as when you're on that mat, you know, just, you know, minute after minute after minute. And the Apostle Paul is telling us that we're not going to physically wrestle, but every one of you this morning, the Apostle Paul says, is, is on the mat, and you've got an opponent that's wrestling you spiritually. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul describes this wrestling match. He says that there is a new person that you were created to be in Christ the moment you've received him, if you've done that. And then it said that there's an old sinful nature. There's a part of you whose essential attribute is that it desires things that God doesn't desire for it. It rebels against God. It's arrogant. It wants to do its own thing. The Apostle Paul describes this tremendous tug of war. If you turn to Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, a little bit earlier in his life, hadn't developed this wrestling match quite as much. In Galatians, he pictures it this way. He pictures, as you look at your life, there is a wrestling match taking place inside of you. If you are a born-again believer, Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you the moment you received Christ as your Savior. 
In fact, if you don't think the Holy Spirit's in your life, then you need to go back and ask yourself whether you're trusting in the cross, whether you're trusting in the resurrection, whether you've trusted Jesus, because the Holy Spirit is the gift that God gives to all those who will believe. So if you've come to that moment in your life that you've trusted in Jesus, the Holy Spirit can live inside of you. There's another part of you that's called, and Paul uses the word flesh, and it's the word that the NIV translates to sin nature. Uh, Some people call it a lower nature or the the old nature. It's It's a language that Paul uses in Ephesians and Colossians. What it's referring to is that, that, that human side of you, before you came to know Jesus, that depends upon itself, that lives for itself, is, has a passion to fulfill all of its desires, leaning towards always fulfilling those desires opposed to God. It's the anti-God part of you. And you need to realize that you've got this dark, evil part of you, and I do too. The Apostle Paul, if you look at Galatians chapter 5, turn there, he says that there's a great wrestling match. In, verse, in, verse, in fact, in verse 16, he says, If I live by the Spirit, you will not gratify, you will not fulfill, you will not carry out the desires of your sin nature. Why? The sin nature is desiring what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, is desiring what's contrary to the sinful nature. They, the nature. they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. The Apostle Paul is saying is that as you look at this wrestling match, the Holy Spirit's trying to get control of the sin nature, trying to hold it down, trying to destroy it, trying to help you to live out the reality of what's going to be true for you forever, that your old nature, your sin nature was crucified with Christ. The penalty of that sin nature was paid. Jesus rose again from the dead, and the Holy Spirit wants you to realize you have a new eternal nature. There's a part of you that loves God. There's a part of you that wants to serve him. And he's saying that as you look at this, the Holy Spirit is trying to pin the old nature, the sin nature. But the sin nature retaliates. The sin nature comes back. And there's an amazing thing that takes place. The Lord God of the universe has not chosen to just overwhelm you. The Holy Spirit can overwhelm things and people. In fact, it says in Genesis chapter 1 that he hovered over the unformed earth and he was, you know, looking at this unformed waters and everything and he became the agent of creation. So the Holy Spirit, by omnipotence, because he's the divine third person of the Trinity, if he wants to, he can control your life. He could just demolish your life, demolish your will and just make you do like a puppet whatever he wants you to do. Why doesn't he do that? Because the Lord wants to have a love relationship with you. And so Paul pictures in this wrestling match that you have a key call to make. It's saying is that there's a part of you that cheers for the sin nature. And so when the Holy Spirit wins, then the part of you that cheers for the sin nature wins. And, you know, it's, it wins in that case, but the part of you that believes in the Holy Spirit is defeated. On the other hand, when the Holy Spirit wins, then the part of you that resists him is defeated. And the Apostle Paul is picturing this. That's why you can't do what you want. Either way, it seems like you lose. But what he's telling you is that if you just submit to the Holy Spirit, rather than watching this wrestling match, rather than watching this internal wrestling match and staying neutral or joining the fleshly side, if you will join with the Holy Spirit, and submit to him and put yourself under his authority and let him control your life. Let him be the Lord of your life. If you let him guide your life, the very next verse, he says, if you are guided by the Holy Spirit, 
if you are led by the Holy Spirit, then you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Some of you are from a charismatic background. We're thrilled that you're a part of our church family, and we, we covet your passion for the Spirit. We covet your commitment to the, to the immediacy of the presence of God. But one of the things in your background that can, that can cause you to get off track at this time is that you always want to think of the Holy Spirit as a happening, as a moment happening. You've been in services where people are calling you to pray through, and they're trying to train you to be able to speak in tongues. And they're trying to get you to experience a moment. You're looking for that great moment. And you feel if, you're, if you can only have that moment, then everything's going to be all right. It's very American in some ways to want to do this. It's very human that we want to have that great supernatural happening and then everything will be taken care of. You need to understand that there's another movement of the Spirit in your life. And it's a much quieter movement. It's, it's the steady walk. The Apostle Paul began this paragraph by saying, walk by the Holy Spirit's power. Walking is not climb, you know, a big crisis. Walking is not some powerful, miraculous happening. It is what you commonly do every single day. And that needs to be part of your real life with the real Holy Spirit. You don't just have real super high emotional emotions but you start to get up in the morning and you learn to walk with the Holy Spirit. And then he closes his paragraph by saying that you are guided by the Holy Spirit. So you walk with the Holy Spirit and you let him guide you where you want, where he wants you to go. Not where you want to go, but where he wants you to go. And, and God's word is what's going to help you to hear the Spirit's voice and get your morality straightened out in your life. And slowly but surely as you walk with him, the Apostle Paul says that as you are guided by the Holy Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So if you're carrying out sinful desires, in other words, this morning you just sit there. If you lie, if you're controlled by hatred, if you're controlled by, if, you're, if you, there's no rest and peace in your life, if you're immoral, then you need to realize that in this wrestling match, you're cheering for the wrong side. You're cheering for the sin nature. And be the, because the Holy Spirit wants to have a relationship with you, if you cheer for the sin nature, if you side with the sin nature, then the sin nature will win. And the Apostle Paul is saying that, that, that if you do that, it could cost you your physical life. He talks about a believer, for example, in Corinthians. They talked about believers that, that lost their life because they lived in this old nature and their heavenly daddy loved them so much that he took their life because he didn't want them to keep living in that inconsistency. It also says in First John that there is a sin unto death. So I want you to realize this is a very serious wrestling match. Now, that Paul goes on and says something very interesting. He says, now... The actions, the works, your daily activities that are part of this sin nature are obvious. Look what he says here. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, the acts of the sin nature are obvious. And then he gives, he starts out, let's just start out with the obvious ones. Let's start out with, with sex sins that are part of our sin nature. What he's saying is that it's obvious that sexual immorality, impurity... And living just for, in this case, the sexual passions of your body, freely expressed, it's obvious that that's sin. But you know what I want to share with you? In our culture, you're going to be told that that's not obvious. 
In fact, as I teach you this morning, there's, there's part of you that just say, you know, I don't buy this. There's some of you guys that are 12 years of age and you just started feeling the hormones search through you. And, and at middle school, man, the, the girls have, are about a foot taller than some of you guys right now. And their bodies have started to really form and everything. And there's a really in group, especially those that are a little bit more developed and they're having really cool parties. And, and they even get their older brothers and their sisters to get a little bit of alcohol, you know, down at Rigger Springs. And, and you're even mixing a little bit of drugs at time with that. And man, you're really with it. And you think what I'm telling you this morning is crazy. Because you think it's not obvious. That's really good stuff. And I want you to understand that that's the world you live in. Jonathan, years ago, he went to Yale. And uh, where Josh is now. We went to Yale. And there was a, Josh was, Jonathan was thinking about going there at his undergraduate year, years. There was a co-ed that was there. And as she took us around these old buildings, now, mind you, Yale was founded because Harvard went liberal. It went Unitarian. They forgot the doctrine of the Trinity. They forgot justification by faith. So a bunch of committed evangelicals like you that really believed in the cross went and founded Yale. And that's where Jonathan Edwards went as a young 16-year-old kid. And he went on to become a pastor. Yale was founded because the pastors being trained at Harvard were totally alienated to the Bible. So they needed to go to Yale. Well, this co-ed, you know, many years later was saying, we want you to know we have co-ed dorms here. And we want all of you parents, you know, to realize that that's the way it is here because, because we're free, because this is the way things are. And a lot of you kids, you know, you go away to university like that. In fact, when my kids went to UT, I remember sitting as a parent, just like you're sitting now, there was someone lecturing just like we're doing now. And they told Jonathan, they told Josh, they told Joel, they told Janae, we want you to experiment. We want you to live. You're now grown adults. They went on to explain that you could go up to the medical center. You could get condoms. They also said that if there's any infections that you get, you need to be sure to go to the the dispensary and you need to get antibiotics. It'll take care of everything. And that was the basic teaching. That's the way they actually taught it. It was kind of like going to a summer camp. And where I was raised, you know, they used to go to a summer camp and they gave three rules. No smoking, you know, no drinking, and no kissing. But this was the opposite. Now, where did all that come from? And I want you to understand, mom to dad, now listen to me. Because since the early 60s, and it's not a new thing, but since the early 60s, a very dominant voice in our culture began to speak. And most of you just experience it's so much a part of your atmosphere that you don't even understand where it's coming from. But I want you to understand there's a part of our culture that's part of university, that's part of you know, being a young career person, that's part of being very much part of the elite to the United States. When you, Most Hollywood films that you go to see are totally committed to this ethic, and it's a different story. Like, I just told you a story. I told you a story that there's a loving daddy in heaven who created your sexuality. He wants you to use it for his glory. You tend to mess it all up, so he gave his son to die for you because you're messed up. And if you'll receive him, he'll forgive you for that, and then you can receive a new life, and he'll give you the power to live connected with the creator, to follow the creator's design, and your life, for the most part, will be filled with health and vitality. That's a story. It's a way to live. Now, here's another story. Listen to this. This is what my kids heard uh, down at UT, and they hear it at Yale. It goes like this. Once upon a time, the world was controlled by a group of angry, tyrannical men. They created a fierce, angry father god. And use this guy to control human passions, especially the human passion of sex. They locked Eris up in the narrow confines of marriage and made it a law that sexual intercourse could only be tolerated when it was used for the generation of children. This regime fought for the protection of the male seed, but they denied the legitimacy of your bodily pleasures. 
simply for pleasure's sake, especially a woman's. But then the great deliverers came, the great redeemers came. These delivered attacked the fortresses of male power. The cathedrals where tyrants bewitched the multitudes. They proclaimed that the bloody father in heaven who demanded the death of his son as payments for sin was dead. And they declared the liberating message. Now listen to this good news. Human passionate lust is not evil. Your physical desires, that passions that you have for your, in your body, they're not evil, they're divine. If you don't believe it, observe the unashamed play of children as they dance naked in their innocence. This is the paradise that all men and women can return to. You can simply get over this, if you'll simply get over this guilt and learn to freely enjoy your bodies. Contraceptives and abortion. They'll make sure that no unwanted children will invade your heaven and steal away your freedom of sexual enjoyment. Antibiotics. They will guard your body from disease. Sexual longing and fulfillment no longer needs to be enslaved in the prison of marriage. Lovers are now free to enjoy sex. Whenever its passion moves them toward one another, the evil is that you remain ashamed of your body and that you resist its childlike drives. Listen to your new priests. Listen to your new priestesses. We have the keys to the new paradise of love. And that's what a dominant number of intellectual elites believe very strongly in our culture. In the early 60s, for, for, up until the 60s, for generation after generation, if a man slept with a woman, there was a good possibility she would have a baby. But in the 60s, we said, we can absolutely guarantee you won't have a baby. Now listen really carefully. Contraceptives were part of that. But contraceptives are not foolproof. And ask any married couple in this room, and some of you kids are sitting here, and mom and dad really love you. <laughs> so the only way that these new priests and priestesses can guarantee that you won't have a child is to kill it. If you get pregnant, we got to have an abortion. That's the real guts behind abortion. And you girls will be told, it lets you be free. Would it let you be free that you don't have to, under, you don't have to be like women for centuries and take nine months off of work? And I want all the kids to listen because this is dominating gospel in our culture. You ladies are just like men. You won't have to take nine months off for work. And then when you give birth to that little child, you don't have to leave the workforce. You can go to the workforce. And a dominating view in our culture, the dominating view in our culture is you as women have a divine right to fulfill your sexual desires just the way men do without any consequences. And also, men have the right to fulfill their sexual desires without any consequences at all. And that's the argument for homosexuality. If the God that you worship is the passions of your body, then it's the most heinous thing in the world to say if a man has a passionate desire to connect with a man, if the goal and the worship is just physical desire, who's to say that that's wrong? And your culture tells you that there won't be any consequences. Let me give you some examples of that. Like in our culture, for example, a normal thing in a university campus, is, if you haven't heard of it, mom and dad, it's called hooking up. You know what hooking up is? Hooking up is when you go to the university and you, you purposely go to a party 
and you want to hook up with the opposite sex, but you don't want to have any friendship with them. You don't want to have any relationship with them. It's just for the physical pleasure of your body. And that's what a lot of university students do. You hook up. A lot of your high school, it's right in the high school. You hook up, and the idea that this is very progressive, I want to ask you a question. Remember Paul said the acts of the sinful nature are obvious? If it really were true that sex was just like going to a good restaurant, it was just like eating, it was just like enjoying a really good meal, if that were really so, then why at most of those parties where young people are going to hook up and young, you know, single guys and girls hook up in Dallas, why is it that everybody has to get drunk? I mean, I would think, and Dr. Morris, that taught at Yale for many years and is an economist now teaching at Stanford, she wrote a book called Smart Sex in a Hookup World. She asked this question. If sex is just like eating, and if we can do it with anybody, and that's really good, then I would, I would expect that you would want to be totally awake, totally, you know, feeling and experiencing your body. Ethanol dulls your body. So I would expect if that's really true, you don't want to drink. You want to be able to really experience it. But college kids binge like crazy in order to hook up. Why? Because you feel guilty. You feel guilty. Another thing, ask the college kids after they do hook up. I want to know why you take showers forever. Why you ladies take baths forever. If it's so clean, then why do you feel so guilt? Why do you feel so guilty? Why do you feel dirty? Because Paul says, deep in your heart, if you're a Jewish person, you have the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. You say, man, I'm just, in, in, I'm just a middle school kid. I'm just a middle school kid. What's the big deal? I'm just learning about my body. None of us are connected. You're going to be Sunday. You're going to be going to church with those kids. And they're going to become old and crotchety like me. And for the rest of your life, this is the way life works because you're all connected. So you hook up in junior high school. You just experiment with your bodies. Later on, you make a commitment in marriage. How many of you want to go to church with a bunch of, as a woman with a bunch of men that you had intercourse with? How many of you want to go to church, vice versa? You know, with a woman that was like that, with a man that was like that. How many of you want the father of your children? You know that he hooked up with a bunch of men. See, you know, with a bunch of women, you know in your heart that it's wrong. And so does every college student across America. And that's why the Apostle Paul, it's obvious, this is evident, which are these. Let me give you another thing. A normal thing in college, that the hooking up thing gets really old, so you live in together. In fact, almost all of you as moms and dads say that you, marriage is the only place you could have sex. You should have sex. You should wait till marriage. But 80% of you had sex before you got married in our American culture. And we need to face that. The reality of the matter is, like, when a young couple comes to me, it's very, very, like, they, they all act really pious. I'm a really good Bible church person. But the majority in our culture have already lived together. And the basic argument goes like this. The priests and priestesses of secularism tell you this. Would you buy a car? Would you buy a car without trying it out? 
And that's a pretty solid argument. I, some of you men have used that argument. Why? You know, I want to make sure everything works, everything fits, everything's really good. It's a normal thing on the college campus and among young people today. Most single people live together. A lot of you live together. And your basic idea is that we're going to try it. It's going to make our marriage much better. There's only one problem with that. You're not a car. Dr. Morris that wrote the book on smart sex, you know what Dr. Morris says? She says, I was the Yale student that did all this stuff. I was the Ivy League student. I tried all of this. She said, there's only one problem with it. You're not a car. When you test ride a car, I go out, drive a really nice BMW, but it's got a little clunk in the front end. So I drive the car, come back to the BMW thing, and I, I say, I don't want the car. The car doesn't cry. The car doesn't get hurt. The car doesn't threaten suicide. The the car doesn't feel feelings of attachment. You see, in order for you to just shack up together, you got to treat each other as if you're just commodities. You got to treat each other like you're just a thing. In fact, when you don't get married and you're just living together and all, and you're going to have tons of friends that say, man, this is a good thing. This is really great for you. This is, a, this is the way you try out marriage. You purposely have to deny the way you're created. When you as a woman have sexual intercourse with a man, you have very powerful hormones that begin to connect you with the man. That's why a lot of students go from hooking up to living together. Because there's even tremendous biochemical forces that take place in your body that you want to join with that man. There's an even deeper emotional force that you want to join with the man. And the same thing is true for you guys. That's why it becomes a habit. When you just live with somebody, you just kind of slide in to being together. And it might not even be the person you're supposed to be connected to. But in that just living together, what the man is saying, I don't really want to make a promise to you. I'm just trying you out. In fact, if you put any pressure on me, then that destroys our relationship because sex is just fun. It's just the pleasure of our body. It doesn't have any connectedness. None of you really believe that. And either does your public society either. And as moms and dads, what I'm trying to do this morning, I'm trying to give you a ton of of admonition. I want you to start telling your truth to your kids. Mary and I, I mean, I, Mary and I have already been married for 36 years. I've generated four kids. And why do I need to talk to you like I'm teaching? It's because I love you. Because some child might listen to what I'm saying and not get sick and not get venereal disease. And some of you, mom and dad, you start training your kids that sex is just a no physical thing by the way you dress your kids at 12 and the parties you let them go to. You don't give them any protection. It's just like you hand them a stick of dynamite and say, go and enjoy. And it's time for you as mom to dad. Some of you say, well, man, I I lived like you've been saying, and I just came to know Jesus. I don't have the right. Oh, yes, you do have the right. You do have the right. What Paul is saying is a very old-fashioned thing. What he's saying is if you're a single person out there, if you're a young person, you should have a lot, as, if you're an older, middle-aged person, if you're an older person. If you're not married, you're saying you should have lots of brother-sister relationships. You need that. You should be able to do lots of things with both men and women. You need to have real warm friendships. You need to have good brother-sister relationships. But you don't need to have sex in order to be happy, in order to be fulfilled. In fact, the Bible teaches you can live your whole life like Jesus did, and this is really anathema in our culture. You can live your whole life like Jesus did and never have sex. 
and you can be fully human and you can be fully divine in Jesus' case and things are okay. And none of you really believe that, but it's true. Because sex isn't the ultimate reality. And so the Apostle Paul presents a very old ethic. He's saying that sexual sin is still wrong. He uses three words for it. The first word that he uses for it is the word porneia. And it's interesting, the word porneia, the literal Greek word, comes from the word to buy and sell. And then it became a word that was used for prostitution, then it expanded in the Greek language, and it covered all forms of sexual immorality. So if you're a Christian kid that starts to debate, is this wrong, it's this wrong, is this wrong, this word covers it. 54% of American teenagers, the survey just came out, 54 of American teenagers, and Midlothian would would not be any different, have oral sex. 54% of American teenagers. And young people, your friend will all tell you, well, it's not breaking any commandments. It's not wrong because we didn't have intercourse. It's sexually immoral. Porneia covers that. You're using that other person's body as a commodity. You're using it just to meet physical desires that you're beginning to develop in your heart. And so is the woman. The guys and girls do this to one another. The Apostle Paul says sexual immorality is part of that porneia, of that it's oral sex is part of porneia. The Lord says that you, you only have that closeness, that intimacy, sexual intercourse with someone that you made a covenant with. And if you have children, you rejoice in those children. And everyone rejoices. You need to think really clearly about this. The word sexual immorality is is the most general word that I can use. And the Apostle Paul will say something like this in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. All the other sins that a person does, he commits outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his body. What's the contrast of that? Do you not know that your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, is in you, whom you receive from God? You're not your own. You're brought with a price. You see the contrast? He's saying your body doesn't belong to you anymore, so you can't just use it any way you want to because now your body's connected. It's become a church. It's become a temple. It's become the dwelling place of God. Therefore, you cherish it. You enjoy it, but you use it consistently with the worship of God. Apostle Paul says in this, in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, he says, flee from sexuality. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Why? Each of you needs to learn to control his own body, which is what I'm talking about. If you're single, the Lord wants you to learn by the power of the Spirit to control your own body in a way that's set apart for God and that's honorable, not in passionate desires like the heathen who don't know God, And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or his sister by taking advantage of him or her. The Lord will punish all human beings for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Powerful word. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying? If you're living, you leave this room and you live just for the passions of your body and you're controlled by that, then you're part of the kingdom of darkness. If you live in hardened, unrepentant sexual immorality, then the Apostle Paul says that you're part of the kingdom of evil. And it happens right here in our own church family. This is a very real struggle. You, you destroy each other's covenant bonds. You defraud each other. 
The 10th commandment says, thou shalt not desire. That's the word that she is. So it totally counters what we're saying in the secular culture. It's saying, David, don't desire another man's wife. And it says, don't desire like his, his BMW or his clothes or his home. But it starts out by saying the most precious thing that a man or woman has is their life partner, their husband or wife. And what, and some, what I'm trying to do, you need to understand that. You, as soon as that desire comes in your, in your life, you need to realize this is the wrestling match, and I need to turn away from it. Don't defraud your mother. Don't defraud your brother, your sister in that regard. Don't get disconnected. Your body is not just a physical pleasure. It's a person. And you're connected with everyone else. And when you are sexually immoral, you tear down all these relationships. You tear down future relationships. You tear down what's, the, what's supposed to be the cohesiveness of the family. That's why the Apostle Paul is so strong in this. The second word is the word that means uncleanness or impurity. It's really interesting that uh, this word literally means to begin by being the decaying flesh of the grave or refuse. But the Apostle Paul uses it of sexual sin. And it's a very powerful word. It says, don't do what's impure. In the Old Testament, it was very important for you to keep yourself clean so you could worship the Lord. And they had a lot of food laws and, and cleansing water laws in order to externally get across this message that God's a holy God. You need to be clean. In the New Testament, Jesus internalizes all that. And he says that we need to keep ourselves clean free from the dirt of, of lusting after things that the Lord has not designed for us so that we can give ourselves wholly to the Lord. And so one of the words that the Apostle Paul uses here is the word impurity. I find it very interesting that it's connected to false worship in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. The final word that's used is the word that I've been speaking about, kind of underlying your secular culture tells you that your physical desires are always okay that you can just experience them. You can just express them. And what the Apostle Paul is countering is saying is no. He says, if you live for just the passions of your physical body, that it will kill you, it will destroy you, it will make you be part of a kingdom of darkness. And I want you to be really alert, alert to it. Like, why does, why does David Letterman come on at late night television? Why is he not on early in the middle of family time? Because you as adults, it's okay for you to hear dirty jokes. We even call them dirty jokes. It's all right for you to watch David Letterman taking a pass at a young actress. Those desires are perfectly fine. It's, it's all right for you to see Drew Barrymore climb up in his lap because you're an adult. Well, all your kids know more about that stuff than you do. And it's a lie. And as a mom and dad, you need to start getting in there. And kids, you need, I, what I'm trying to do is, you're only going to get to live your life once. Like somebody taught me when I was 12, told me things about sexuality, taught me what the Bible said. And Mary and I had to make decisions about what we're going to do. So do you. So all of you, you can leave the room and feel like, you know, David's nuts. You know, he's just not in, time, in, in tune with the times. That's fine. It's your life. But I want to I share with you, you're not going to change reality. You're not going to change the way your body really works. And your body really works to bring pleasure to God. The Lord meant when you had sex for you to be able to have children. Josh and, and Laura, Josh could hardly wait to tell us he was a daddy. 
And when Mary and I got that news, we didn't go, oh, no, I can't believe it. What a drag it's going to be on the family. I'm not sure we can afford it. And man, I'm probably going to end up raising him. I mean, what a terrible thing. But there's a whole lot of you in this room. You've had to go tell mom and dad, I got hooked up. I don't really want to marry the guy, but I'm pregnant. And all of you that say it doesn't influence anybody, two consenting adults, and I think I'm an adult at 13, two consenting adults can do whatever they want to do and everything is fine. It isn't fine. And you know why it's not fine? Because I'm paying the bill for your unfathered baby with no father in the home. I am. So are you. All of you are. Because your culture says that people shouldn't have any consequences, so we, by the government, support thousands upon thousands of single families. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be compassionate, but I want you to understand it. It's a lie for you to say it doesn't have any consequences. If you're a homosexual and you say your behavior just between two consenting adults, there are no consequences, it is just a pleasure of our body. No, it isn't. You're connected to me. I have to pay for thousands of millions of dollars of AIDS research because of what you do. And I'm not saying that that's the only way that you get AIDS, but it's the dominant way that you get it, and I pay for it. So do you. So don't believe the lie. You are connected. And what I want to share with you most of all, you know what, believers, kids pay for it. Kids pay for it. Every one of you as adults, that mess around with your flesh and say, my body is what counts, and I can do whatever I want to. Every one of you dads that says, my body craves my secretary. My body longs for her. My body wants her. It's got to be divine. It's got to be holy. It's the worship of the pure, holy, divine eros. I want you to sit in my office. I want you to sit in my office and you explain to your 11-year-old little girl just before she starts puberty why daddy's not going to be there anymore consistently and why he wants this woman and not her mom. And ladies, the same thing for you. When you start deciding, I got to go out there and do my thing. I got to live for my passion. I got to live for myself. I've been serving everyone else for centuries now. I'm, I've, I'm, and I'm getting older. So I'm gone. Talk to your kids. I would challenge every one of you moms, before you do that, talk honestly with your kids. Don't you give them your little lecture about, oh, this is going to be fulfilling and, and I'm going to be happy and daddy's going to be happy. Talk to them. Ask them what they really think. Because that's what I have to do. That's what I have to do. And in my pastoral ministry for the, for the next several years, it doesn't end just when they're little guys. I got to work with them all the way through. Why are you so afraid to get close to somebody? Why are you so afraid to let somebody in? Why are a lot of you afraid to get close? Why do you run as soon as you get close? Because a whole lot of you were raised without a mom and dad that, that made promises and kept them. And we've raised a whole young generation that's scared to death. You know why kids hook up? You know why kids live together? Because they don't want to be like mom and dad. They're keeping all permanent relationships far away. And Jesus says, I got a new and better way. I got a new and better way. You don't have to worship the idols. See, all this is connected with idolatry and drugs, pharmacia. That's the false worship. 
The Apostle Paul said that all that I've been talking about is related to false worship. You know what the word idolatry means? It means the worship of images. So a whole lot of you are going to leave this room in this week and you're going to go and in big technicolor, you're going to watch somebody have sex with somebody else. And you're going to be thrilled by it. You're going to be scintillated by that. Some of you are even going to be motivated to go and have sex yourself because you watch that. You know what that is? It's the worship of an image. It's exactly what you did this morning in singing praise to God, only you're doing it there in a heathen temple, in a false temple. That's what Paul is saying. And I'm not telling you, what I'm teaching you this morning is not the old thing. Sex is horrible, and we're so prudish, we don't want you to enjoy that. I'm just sharing with you. If you want to just sit there and drool over an image, go right ahead. It's your business. But you're connected and it's going to have consequences. I'm so glad somebody told me and I when we were young kids, save it for marriage. It's a holy, precious, scintillating, intoxicating thing. And if you'll do it in the safe tent of that marriage, you don't have to be afraid of having a baby because if Jonathan comes along, it's going to be the expression of you and Mary together, and it's going to be really cool. And I want to share with you from the depth of my heart, it really is cool. And it's awesome to have them connect with you the rest of your life. My prayer for Midlothian Bible Church is that in the midst of a culture that's saying that sex is the goddess and the pleasures of your body is what you live for, that there will be a whole new generation that says, no, I'm going to fall in love with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords where there's going to be pleasure forevermore. If the Lord calls me to be single, I'm going to revel in his passionate love for me and know one day that he will give me pleasures in heaven that will make all the pleasures of the earth dim. But I am totally fulfilled, totally complete as a single person because sex isn't divine. If I'm a single person that's, that's going through early adolescence, I'm going to live pure. I'm going to realize this tremendous engine is meant for something. It's meant for real, intimate, lifelong closeness. It's meant to generate babies, and I'm not going to disconnect all that. If I'm a married person, I'm going to cherish the gift the Lord's given to me, and I'm going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul is still telling us today, and I want you to pray for me, and I want to pray for you. I told you about Ray Carlson, the big wrestler. At a time in Ray's life, he lost his wrestling match with sexual immorality. His son, Leaf, and his little boy, Tim, were out hunting with their daddy. They had a friend with them. The friend went off in, a, in the Adirondacks where you can't see very well because there's big pine trees. The guy hit, got hit in the leg. It severed an artery, and the guy died in the woods. And my friend was a tender pastor. He was a powerful evangelist. I saw Ray speak, and every week, 75 kids would come to Jesus, junior high kids. Kids' lives would be totally transformed. Boy, was his spirit upon him. But Ray started ministering to that young widow and started caring for her. And the very passion that made him a compassionate, merciful pastor, he began to step over the line, and he got involved with that woman. And the year that Mary and I were engaged, a week before camp started, my dad asked me with a group of men, will you direct the camp because we're going to have to let Ray go? 
and my life crashed. My life changed that summer in a lot of ways. I had to direct this camp and change all of my plans for that summer. But the worst thing of all, my great big wrestling friend that could beat me so easily, that was so mightily used of God, committed adultery. Immorality, impurity, lived just for the patch of his body. Very cunning, satanic thing, and he left. His family deteriorated, family blew apart. That's why I've taught you like I taught you today. It can happen to a powerful evangelist, a powerful pastor. It can happen to you. But you know, some of you have really fallen into sin. Some of you have been wrestling with this, and I want you to know that you're in a place of grace. Like as your pastor teacher, I want you to know immorality, impurity, idolatry, drugs, it's not unforgivable. It's not the unpardonable sin. Jesus' blood can make you clean. A few years ago, I got a call from Colorado. And a person on the other end said, Hi, Dave. This is your old friend, Ray. He said, Dave, I just want to tell you that I've asked Jesus to forgive me. And I've asked your dad to forgive me. And I want to ask you, as one of my young sons in the faith in a lot of ways, will you forgive me? And he cried, and I cried, and he was forgiven. That's what I want all of you to realize. Paul says, at the end of 2 Corinthians, he says this, when I come to you, I don't want there to be immorality. I don't want there to be impurity. I don't want there to be living just for your passion. So he's assuming that in the Corinthian church, they were wrestling with that. He said, I don't want to come to you with anger. He says, please repent before I get there. And that would be my prayer for every one of you. If you're fooling around with the flesh, please repent before Jesus gets here for real. You can be forgiven. You can turn away. If some of you have recently fallen into that and you, and you have experienced the Lord's forgiveness, I don't want today's message to cause you to feel like you should run. I don't want today's message to cause you to feel like that you're somehow wearing a great big letter on, you know, on your chest or on your blouse. But I want you to understand that if you really understand you, this is forgiveness, then you become a more powerful, a more effective teacher because you know how strong the flesh is, but you also know how powerful the forgiving blood of Jesus is. Father, you drive home the message of the evil and the destructiveness of the flesh. I pray, Lord, that you would tell us the truth. Oh, Heavenly Daddy, I'm so thankful that you tell me about real life and you teach my brothers and sisters about real life. But most of all, I'm thankful that I could close by saying that you're merciful, that you're forgiving, that you're not one that rejects us forever. I'd ask you, Lord, that Melothian Bible Church would really be clear. Walk by the Holy Spirit's power. And you don't have to carry out the destructive, deadly influences of the sin nature. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. 
Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.